This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things. Video games, dev culture, tech, game design, events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So, thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Booleans. My name's Costa and I'm joined by my co-host Alex. Hey everyone. Hello, hello. Um... This week, we have Ashley from Wargaming Sydney. Ashley, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So, Ashley is a producer at Wargaming Sydney, and you've been at the company how long now? Uh, coming up to two years now. Feels like it's been forever, though, so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, and which games do you work on at Wargaming at the um, moment that you can talk about? that I can talk about? Uh, none. So, <laughs> yeah, at the moment, working on a AAA game. So we're doing a co-dev with one of the studios in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, in terms of that, still still under wraps. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've worked on some of the tech in Sydney before I transitioned over to the game section. Uh, so worked on the um, server tech that we built out here in Sydney um, and then looking at how we can kind of uh, market that to the wider wargaming teams to try and consume. So that's something I've been doing here as well. Awesome. So that's like, uh, like building tools for use in-house sort of things or...? Yeah, yeah. So we we have a lot of kind of um, tools and products that we build within our studio that we also, because Wargaming is so big, right, Mm. Uh, trying to find ways that we can build technology that's reusable by the rest of the company. Uh, So we've, uh, as part of our studio, when they started out, they started uh, building the core server tech that World of Tanks uses. Um, And that's really how our studio started. Um, so we just still do quite a lot of that. We've got a lot of that expertise. So we drive a lot of the server tech. So like, cool, how do we make sure that your game doesn't crash when like a million people jump on it? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we keep it secure? So a lot of that kind of side of things. Uh, we've got a lot of experience. So we try and uh, build products that we can ship out and then looking at how we can set up um, tooling and things like thinking the kind of future of our games, how can we make everything in-house so we don't need a uh, purchase a bunch of third-party tools and stuff to manage our games. Yeah, right. Um, and I guess that would, I guess, get easier. But then you would need more as the teams get bigger. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of that catch twenty-two. So we've been going through that in terms of looking at right. We know where we want to take our tech division and how we want to grow that. Of course, that means like growing the teams and the products that we want to try and offer. Um, and then again, on the game side, like we want to potentially drive our own game eventually. So how do we build those skills? Uh, we're building this big AAA game with uh, our co-devs. So that requires a lot of our resources. So we've got a lot of people in the studio just focused on that. Um, and then, yeah, if we get more and more of that game side of things into our studio, of course, again, more people um, So space is always a fun thing to work <laughs> out in the office. <laughs> So is it sort of split between um, development on development on this new AAA title and then just within the more technical platform um, for the game, or is it for just a technical platform that is um, distributed amongst the the rest of the company as well, or to be used in other titles as well? 
Yeah, that's uh, more to be used by other studios and titles. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So seeing how they can benefit from that tech that we're building out. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, they say a producer is someone who just gets stuff done, shit done. Would you say that's yeah. your role? And what what other duties do you have as a producer at Wargaming? Uh, yeah, it's definitely about getting shit done. Um, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of balancing. Um, I think you, you go into the day knowing that you're not going to have the same day you had the day before and anything can change kind of at a drop of a hat. So as that's part of the fun side of the role is it's always new. There's always stuff happening. Um, but at the same time, it's really about juggling the different streams of work, the different, uh, people you work with so you've got uh you've got your artists your designers your engineers uh how do they kind of mix what issues do we need to help them resolve um and then there's also dealing with the stakeholders so of course everything that we have to do here has to be translated back to the uk like this is what we're doing this is what we're working on so that collaboration and communication is really key as well so there's a lot and a lot of talking during the day (laughs) So is, it, is you kind of the person that runs in between everyone and makes sure everything is going smoothly, unblock anything that needs to be unblocked and just make sure stuff is getting done? Yeah, exactly. Making sure everyone knows there's a plan, what's involved in the plan. Uh, are we going to hit the plan? Do we need to create a new plan? Um, and then it's also looking at things like, all right, uh, we want to deliver a certain experience to the player Um, is what we're doing matching that experience is it going to trigger what we want Um, another piece of that is looking at all right we're working through um, play testing what's it what's the bugs is it fun Um, and I guess the concept of fun is a very very big rabbit hole but uh, it's something you have to think about every day when you start working through all of the different things Um, so yeah there's there's a lot a lot that goes on but makes it interesting Will you be on like one project at a time or do you have to jump between and take one hat off and put another one on? Um, For myself, it was a little bit at the start when I moved from the tech side over to the game side. uh, It was a little bit I had to juggle the tech. um, So the team I was managing there and the roadmap and talking to kind of the wargaming stakeholders to like, all right, now I'm going to deal with the game side. I'm going to work on the specific element or stream and I need to focus on that. Um, and it was definitely two very different hats. So going from like, right, I'm trying to pitch things, sell it to stakeholders uh, and understand the deep technical reasons behind that to like, all right, what is fun? How do we engage players? How do we sell this or market this? What's going to trigger certain emotions? Does this match the persona that we're trying to drive for? Um, so a lot of kind of, more high level thinking uh, in terms of like emotions and experience rather than like, right, this is what you're getting. This is mm. super technical. Mm. Um, so yeah, quite, quite different. That's yeah, almost definitely like, harder than I guess switching yeah. projects. You're switching different areas of the brain. And I was, I yeah. was just going to say that it's like both sides of your brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm lucky. So I've now, I'm completely on the game side, which is great. Uh, so I picked up two separate streams of work. 
Um, so different areas that we're trying to focus on for the game. So I've been kind of championing that and working with the teams to to make sure that we kind of get those experiences that we're after, which definitely makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> In terms of um, a game, like a, a producer, what do you think it is that makes someone like an effective producer? You know, what is it that they need? What what prerequisites does someone need to step into the shoes of being a producer? Uh, so from my side, like I've, I've done a lot of interviews with producers. We just had interns uh, kind of apply for the role as well. A lot of what we look at, especially in the producer role, is like, can you think beyond what we've just given you? So like, you know, there's a task you need to achieve. Uh, can you show or demonstrate that you can kind of go that next step because things always kind of have flow on effects and so trying to just action that and think ahead is definitely a key thing. Um, I think that's kind of what sets you apart and having that curiosity is always, uh, I think, one of the biggest things to help you succeed because if you keep asking questions, you'll uncover certain areas that may not have been covered um, and kind of just keep working towards that. So I think being able to do that um, really effectively is for me a really really big thing to focus on uh, and then the other thing is you need to be able to multitask or you need to be able to be like right this is my plan of attack this is what I'm going to be doing and then like I said you can quickly pivot if you need to create a new plan and I think a really big key to it is doing it in a way that's not going to like freak out the engineers or the artists mm. when you do that because, of course, like us as human beings, if we have a plan, we love it, we know what's coming up, you think, like, all right, I'm telling you, you're moving to a new country tomorrow. You're going to freak <laughs> out. Um, so it's like, all right, what's the plan? Why is the reason we're doing this? And trying to kind of, like, portray that um, I think is, is really important. So, like, how what's that style, that mannerism that uh, producers can have? I think you need to be as chill as you can be while mm. still being able to manage as many things at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I think would be really useful for producers. So you're kind of relaxed on the outside, but really there's, there's, <laughs> there's other things screaming. going. Yeah. There's internal Inside, screaming. It's like this little hamster running on a wheel. <laughs> like, well, what do I need to do? Yeah. 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 So where did the, um, those skills come from? Like how did, how did you personally, pick those up um was that within this role or is it previous roles you found fit those um yeah i think it's kind of just built up over time uh i guess for me i've always been a really relaxed person at heart anyway so it takes a lot to stress me out um <laughs> but i think yeah coming from how i kind of transitioned into the game side uh, i did a lot of work at an agency so we dealt with a huge amount of customers. Um, I had quite a lot going on at the same time. And so making sure that I can juggle and kind of keep calm uh, was, a, was a really big important thing for me in that role. And so I think just being able to adapt to the situation and knowing that you can't always control what's going to happen, but it's really just what you make of it. And the big thing for me is my team how are they going to feel? How are they going to react to things? So if I'm showing, like, I'm super stressed, I'm freaking out, 
that naturally mm. is going to go over to them. So what's the best way of making sure they feel like they're being looked after, they know there's a plan, it's going to make them safe, they're not going to have to worry about certain things. Um, and I think that, that to me, uh, is what I learned at that agency. Like, things are going to change. It's just knowing how do we communicate that, how do I work with my team. Um, I worked at a bank before that, so when I first started out, like, way back, uh, I did engineering, so I was an engineer at the bank. Uh, as you can imagine, that was super thrilling. Uh, <laughs> and also the reason I, I decided to move away from engineering, uh, because it was just it was so bland. Um, yeah. And so I moved into kind of a production-y or product role um, over there, which was really fun. I really enjoyed the communication. And again, it was, uh, I guess, learning... How do I talk to people at certain levels because they're super formal? Um, and then being able to talk to the engineers, balance that, um, be really calm in certain situations and kind of play it out as it needs to be. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of accumulated through the mm. years and made it a lot simpler for me. You can definitely see, you know, I mean, yourself coming from an engineering role and then you go into a product role. You and then how your duties as a producer now are technical plus you know communication and 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 creative it's like yeah you can there's almost the the direct line from where you started to where you are now of of how those uh, responsibilities have actually um accumulated over time that's awesome yeah and in terms of your role now um you talked about balancing technology design and and sort of all these different things within your team i know have you, i don't know if you've seen uh, apple's mythic quest show have you seen that not yet it's on my it's on my to watch i feel like i game way too much to keep yeah, up with yeah, a lot yeah, of tv yeah, yeah, yeah. it's an awesome tv show and it's all around games like development and you know these big teams and they're they're running an, uh, an mmo Disclaimer, game it feels and... like it's totally inaccurate though <laughs> it's a hollywood yeah. pitch on it yeah yeah right it is a hollywood one and and one of the the key themes in that show is actually always around balancing technology and design and it's this it's always this plot thing where you know the producer in the middle is always under stress because you've got technology you know the, the tech team in their ear saying no we need to implement this we need to do that and then you've got design wanting to design it in a certain way then you've got you know the monetization people always saying no we need to cut cut back on all the creative stuff cut back on the technical stuff we just need to make as much money as possible so how much of that is you know real or how much of that is um what you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that that uh sounds pretty accurate so <laughs> they got that right <laughs> yeah yeah no they definitely got that right um there's there's a lot of that balancing like you're always gonna have the different uh, areas trying to convince you that their piece of work is really important and this is why we need to have it i think the way that we've combated that and that we do really well in is we have cross-discipline teams and that really helps quite a lot so instead of it feeling like it's art or design telling engineering this is what it should be they work together and they figure out like, all right, this is the impact we want. How do we get that? So we understand the limitations of the tech. We understand the vision from art and design, and then we can kind of bridge those. Um, but needless to say, there's always conversations around like, hey, we want to be able to hit this or achieve this. And then we need to try and work uh, towards, all right, well, how do we make everyone happy? Um, or unfortunately, how do we kind of, 
choose a certain direction that might not please everyone else uh, but it's really just making sure they they know all right this is the reason we're doing it instead of it just being like hey this is what's happening Mm -hmm. um i think the yeah the the kind of like injection of monetization and uh publishing and things are always really interesting uh i work with the publishing team quite closely from the uk front and they are fabulous Mm -hmm. the the friendliest people you will ever meet they're they're great um and I think it's uh, the way that we kind of always interact with them is just trying to see, all right, how, because we want players, right? We want the player experience. They're all about those that data, the stats, um, how do we engage them? And so being able to interact on that level has been really useful um, and just finding ways to make sure that that helps influence or helps the team understand like, oh, okay, cool. This is what we're trying to achieve. Um but yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of mm. different voices. It's just figuring out how to make them talk to each other or filter it in a way that's effective. So is there is there like a, a map of, well, or if there's there a framework of how the teams are structured there in terms of um, certain amount of types of roles within the team, or like to ensure that it is that cross disciplinary, or is it just depending on the requirements of the of the product or Yeah, it really depends on uh, what stream of work we're, we've got. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've got quite a few and depending on that you create what the makeup of the team is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm lucky that both the teams that I have or the three teams I've got at the moment they are all uh, cross-functional, uh, cross-discipline, which is fabulous. Um, when we were on the tech side, we purely had tech, uh, and that's also fine. It's just making sure that you have the team structured around uh, what you're trying to achieve. So it's figuring out, all right, what what's our vision? Where do we want to be? And then going, all right, what do we need to get there? And that way you kind of build your team from that. Mm-hmm. And you spoke about those trade-offs that you have to do when making those decisions across a team like that. Is it yourself that makes trade-offs or who, who gets involved? I mean, you know, not specific names or anything, but um, <laughs> the kind of roles that need to get to be involved to make those decisions. Who, who is it? Is it like people within the team as well or is it, you know, is it a group decision? Uh, yeah, it depends on kind of what level that decision needs to happen. Um, So if it's just something specific to like the work that we're trying to achieve within the group uh, or our stream and we're like, all right, this is the certain experience we want versus what maybe one of the engineers want, uh, we definitely take that to like, all right, let's have a conversation so we can understand what both of the groups are trying to figure out and then try and align Um, because you don't want any kind of line drawn between your team and have them be like right i'm engineering this is my mm. car, my side but they should have more influence so depending on what the question or the uh, kind of changes that stream or that kind of discipline should have more say but it should be everyone understanding it to be able to agree on it mm-hmm. um there's not always going to be the case that people will agree uh, mm-hmm. And at that point, it's really, all right, we all understand, but if someone is being stubborn, uh, I will step in in the production side and say, right, here's the risks, here's the mitigations. I feel like we all understand, and this is the direction we're going to go in. So if we can't get that call from the team, then uh, that's where production just needs to step in because it's going to start becoming overwhelming and uh, kind of time-consuming. 
Uh, I guess an interesting kind of lean on that is when you have to talk through certain things in terms of the bigger picture, so working with the higher level stakeholders in the UK uh, for larger chunks or portions of the work, um, that's when it becomes interesting. So you have to really uh, put together, right, this is what you're getting, this is the reason you're getting it, this is how it's going to impact the game, the costs involved, all of that, and it's it's much more of a here's my very serious pitch and everything that we need to consider and the reason we need to consider it. Um, and then at that point, that is out of our hands. They they really need to drive, all right, is this what we want? Um and can we can we afford to build this? Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, really depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like um, with those decisions, there's higher stakes pressure given you know the size of war gaming? Is it still that? Is there a higher pressure, or would it be the same amount of pressure if you were dealing with a indie title? Like obviously you've got bigger stakeholders and stuff, but. Uh, okay, I guess the question is how how do you compartmentalize that? Like the the pressures of those stakeholders as opposed to like an indie how stakeholder. Do st- how do you not stress out? Yeah, it's it's just one of those things, right? It's you know that you have to talk to them. Uh, you know what your company stands for and what they expect, and so it's just making sure that all right, I know this is for the good of the company. This is going to benefit us for uh, for kind of the greater good we're not trying to sabotage them um and it's really putting trust in those stakeholders that all right they know what they want what we can and can't do um and they will lead us kind of in that path that we that we should be following for the company uh i guess the the nice part about that is i haven't worked in indie so i can't really reference it too much um but I mean, it's similar to like agency, right? You you can give as much advice to your client as you want. At the end of the day, if they're like, no, I definitely will have the purple font on this app. You can't mm. really do much about it. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a bit of a juggling act, but uh, you kind of just need to make sure that you feel comfortable that they know what they're, they're doing. Yeah. And um, I guess when it comes to going home at the end of the day, especially in your role, managing all these people, um, are you able to switch off? Do you end up taking it home mentally with you or was that a learning process? Um, It's a bit of a learning process. So especially with our time zone differences, it's it's pretty hard to switch off at night because I have calls at night. Mm. Uh, So it's like, right, do your day-to-day, deal with the teams in Sydney, make sure that everything is running smoothly, we're doing what we need to, and then it's like, all right, uh, have a few hours, kind of have dinner, spend time with the family, and then it's like, right, switch your mindset back into meeting mode, let's talk through all of the stuff with the UK. Um, I think it's just how you manage it. Uh, We have definitely set some bounds. So I've said that, hey, like Friday nights are no-go zones. Like I'm not doing Friday night calls. That's footy night. I watch the league. You can't interrupt that. Um, And then it's just kind of like setting those no-meeting nights to to be like, right, if you want me, you can get me on these days, these kind of timelines, and then you can can take it from there. Um, So I think it's it's good. It's what you make of it, right? And... Mm -hmm. um, I definitely have found my way of coping is playing games when I have uh, time in between meetings. So that that definitely helps me just calm and chill out. 
Uh, and then even in evenings, me and my partner, he is a huge gaming fan as well. So we both just sit there, play some games. Um, and it's just kind of a nice event, which is great. Mm. In that in itself, is it hard to switch off when you're playing a game and not go, oh, that's a good idea for this thing or something like that? <laughs> it's always good, right? It's research. So Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, just seeing what other people are doing, uh, making sure that, you know, you might see something you're like, oh, this is a really interesting way that they did this game mechanic. Um, like, every, nothing is new. Everything is uh, kind of inspired by something. So I think being able to see what's out there and think about, like, oh, this is a way we can do it better uh, is always great. Mm-hmm. What games are you playing at the moment? Um, so I have... Got on back into uh, Doom, so the the new Doom, and then we have just got our VR set back. So we moved from New Zealand, and we got a bunch of stuff shipped over. So we got our VR, so we're starting to play um, a bit of Resident Evil before the new one comes out. Uh, Mm. So yeah, it's it's playing a bit of that. It's not very calming. Actually, <laughs> yeah, those uh, those games seem very uh, <laughs> high energy, uh, yeah. st- stress inducing. Yeah, but yeah. Um, and then a, a lot of Animal Crossing, so yeah. the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was like my go-to during the lockdown that we had last year as well. Mm. Um, and even this morning, I decided like after a few weeks of not playing it, I'll jump back in. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weeding. I'm not yep. gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. then I was like, why am I doing this? I don't even weed at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. no, it's, it's that, so that's, that's nice and calm. Um, yeah. And then Tetris, the new Tetris, if you haven't played oh, it. Oh, I haven't played oh, it, no. So good. good. Uh, frustrating because I suck at Tetris. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, really, it's really cool the way they did it with the music and the visuals. It feels like you're at some like techno concert. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. I've just done like a psych psychology analysis on you and I'm like okay you got Tetris that's the logic part of your job you've got Doom and Resident Evil that's the stress high intensity then Animal Crossing is I'm guessing like resource time management nice yeah that sounds like a really good breakdown yeah it's interesting you say animal crossing i actually saw an article recently um there was some study that a study that went on and it was basically saying that during covid lockdown uh animal crossing was used like was played by a lot of people and it was a way of actually reducing you know anxiety and, and stress and that sort of stuff throughout covid which was just yeah interesting and everyone I speak to and then when I play the game I feel like it's just so stressful because yeah, it's like you're dealing with all this stuff that you know it's just it feels like you're you're living you're living a second life that it's just it's quite stressful um, yeah, different in March in last you know last March it was like everyone was in the house so you had the wind exactly, going you're like yeah. oh, I'm there right now yeah <laughs> And I saw Wargaming Sydney, I don't know if this is still going on, but I, had, I came across an article around extending the work from home policy or setup until June yeah. this year. Is that still going on at Wargaming? Yeah, it's still happening. So, um, yeah, the, the studio is fantastic. Uh, as part of like a lot of the influx side of things with COVID, it's just really hard for them to predict like, all right, when's it going to come down? How do we create that stable environment for the teams as well? Cause a lot of, a lot of us were like, all right, cool. We're going to come back next week. And then there'd be another cluster that breaks out and it's back into lockdown. Um, and so, yeah, 
early on, they were like, all right, so we don't want to cause this uh, for our employees. We want to make sure that everyone kind of feels confident and safe. And in doing so, we're going to say, right, until June next year, everyone can work from home. They help everyone set up, which is amazing. So, like, we got to take our um, computers home, our seats, mm. our uh, they provided us screens, everything we needed to to just set up. Um, and it just it made such a huge difference. Like everyone, uh, I think for us, the transition initially, it felt weird because you don't have that studio dynamic, but having the setup just made it so much easier. We already had certain tools. They were really flexible. So like Miro, we started using, which is mm -hmm. an online tool to collaborate. Um, and that worked really well for a lot of teams. It's kind of like a virtual whiteboard, heaps mm -hmm. of sticky notes because, I mean, we love sticky notes here. <laughs> uh, probably a lot of trees saved during the year. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it, it's just a great uh, kind of example of how they brought everyone licenses for that so we can use that. Um, but, yeah, they, they were really awesome about it, and we're starting to talk about what does kind of coming back to the office look like Mm. Uh, so potentially a hybrid. So, you know, one or two days every fortnight, we come in as a team, we make the most of that time here, and then we can kind of go back home, sit back in. Um, we hired a lot of people during mm. the lockdown or the COVID period, uh, so much so that we need another kind of office space because mm. so many people got hired. Mm. Um, so, no, it's, it's really good. It's great for peace of mind and... Um, I think it's definitely helped us kind of in the right direction. Mm. Did it did it have a big impact on production side of things in terms of, I mean, obviously that initial, you know, the initial figuring out how to do it and all that sort of stuff, but did it really have a big impact on production? Definitely. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of my life before COVID was like walking up to the engineer or the designer, tapping on their shoulder and being like, hey, how's this going? Where are we at? What are things we need to worry about? Uh, doing that remotely, you can't just tap someone on the shoulder. So mm -hmm. your equivalent's like, hey, can we book a meeting so that we can talk about this thing? And then it also feels like super formal as well. Uh, so that was that was definitely the hardest. It's like those informal chats you didn't know were so valuable and important mm. actually was. And it's like, all right, well, now I have a day that starts at like eight, finishes at five, and I've just got back-to-back -back meetings. Mm -hmm. um, so that was where we had to really try and adjust and be like, all right, how do we find a better way of doing this? Um, and we worked through a bunch of stuff in different teams in terms of how to do that. So that's good now. But yeah, initially to me, it was like, oh, okay, where do we go? What do we do? Um, mm. I don't like silence. Why is no yeah. one talking? <laughs> <laughs> and, I guess a company with the size of Wargaming, because yeah. uh, this is experimental, I guess, for everyone, but a lot of people will be looking to you guys, like, how did you handle this? And then wanting to hear your results and what we can do in the future and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so from our side, I think... Like I said, Miro is probably a huge savior. Uh, mm. We have so many uh, meetings where we draw stuff on the whiteboards or we kind of use sticky notes to talk through things and do like little workshops. And so mm. not having the ability initially to do that was really hard. Um, so we found also it's a great tool uh, when you're in a meeting, knowing people are 
like participating they're listening they're taking you know taking knowledge of what's happening because before you jump in a call you know like you have your screens you're definitely going to multitask uh, I know I do this all the time where I'm like in a call and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Start typing on the side. Um, so it's trying to find a way to pull them in. So uh, using Miro was really, really a good tool for us. Um, and then the other part was uh, we experimented with like having an open Discord uh, chat. So everyone mm-hmm. on the team jumps in Discord and then it's like, you can have that moment of like, oh, hey, you know, are you still there? Let's quickly have a chat, go to a side room. Uh, when you have a room full of engineers, you do not get a lot of chatter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so all you would have is like me leaving my mic open with my like hip hop music on the side. And then, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's dead. So that didn't work. So we're like, all right, let's, uh, let's not do this. This is awkward. Um, and then, yeah, so we figured out that Slack is just the easiest. Um, so what we actually did, which felt excessive when we started, but actually has been a saving grace is for each like piece of work or feature that we were working on, we created a new Slack channel Mm. and then any kind of chatter around that we used, um, and that was really easy because then we can keep updates and I can be like, oh, cool, this is where they're at. We can post the images and stuff. Um, so that was really handy. And then just being super interactive on Slack, um, like just posting GIFs and things. So like one icebreaker was like, hey, every every week we have a 15-minute icebreaker of like, all right, we're going to do a GIF war. So like we have to choose what GIFs we want and then yeah. we battle it out and see who's like the GIF master. Uh, and it's just like finding those little fun, quirky things to make sure the team's still happy, they're still together. Uh, we did like a lot of midweek pub quizzes. So we'd have like pub quiz, uh, yeah, uh, some virtual like mini games just to keep it keep it fun. Um that, that definitely helped us. I think other than that, it was just, yeah, making sure people keep their videos on when we had calls because mm. uh, we felt initially like no one would talk and no one had the camera on. So at least being able to see people helped a lot. Um, but, yeah, I think from where we started to now, just those small little changes made such a big difference. Yeah. What was um, – because you mentioned using – discord and then going to slack because that is something that has been coming up a lot with teams and co-working spaces is they have a trouble with one so they're going to the other um so i'm sure you covered you were saying it um what did you what made you guys go to slack as opposed to discord um so we always had slack but uh i guess the reason we wanted to do discord is we were trying to emulate those uh, kind of natural interactions like, oh, hey, by the way, Alex, like I wanted to chat to you about this thing. Um, you're already here. Let's quickly let's quickly have a bit of a conversation about it. But that just it just never happened. Like we would just sit there awkwardly and no one would talk or someone would be like, oh, how's it doing? How's it going? And no one's at their desk. And you're <laughs> like, OK, I'll just meet myself again. Um, <laughs> so it's that didn't really work uh i think these slack channels just help give them a specific use for that channel and then that made it a little bit easier um Mm. 
but yeah we like we even tried uh i can't remember what it was called but it's this tool where like it's super fun it's like you're playing a game and you're in a you're in a 2d platformer style game you can go into like rooms you have little computers set up so it's like interactive spatial audio and cameras mm. and oh super fancy <laughs> and i was like this is great this is like a virtual office mm. 2d pixel art like what more do you want and we mm. used it like one day and oh, that no. was it um so i was like all right let's just go to basics like what do we want to talk about um i think the other part that i didn't mention but now thinking about it is really useful is like before we start our calls we usually have like a few minutes where we just have a chat like we just try and do our catch-up so you would talk about something that you were doing or having those informal conversations before you kick into meeting mode um that's been really really great so that's kind of been making up for kind of not having some of those social interactions yeah nice Hmm. It's always interesting hearing how people approach the different ways of socializing online because it's just such a it, it's it is what we live with now you know having to do that so yeah yeah always quite interesting um i guess what what does it look like now i know you mentioned this sort of work from home policies being considered of having people come in one or two days a fortnight or a week um, what what do you feel like the the balance is? Well, what do you feel comfortable with in terms of you know producing and being in that role of a producer remotely? And how do you think that will look like in the future? Um, yeah, I think with the with the setup, I think hybrid's definitely a good way to go about it. Um, so something, even though I found it really challenging at the start, going full remote. I've gotten into a really good habit in terms of like, all right, I have a really good work-life balance because I have to do evening calls. I don't need to worry about traveling uh, two hours of the day. So that's automatically just time I get at home uh, to myself. And so even when I'm at home, I feel like I can just zone out, do a lot of my production planning, do a lot of uh, kind of that admin stuff that when you're in the office, you don't have such a huge time to do because you get distracted by like uh, running around, chatting to people, having those conversations. You never have time to just sit down and uh, kind of zone out and just do what you need to do. Um, So I think for production moving forward, I feel like a lot of companies will start to find that uh, remote production people are just going to be really good. It's like the same as the production teams as well. Um, and the engineering groups, I think it's just how you kind of manage yourself. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's been it's been really great being able to have that opportunity to to kind of learn through. All right, what works, what doesn't work. Like I said, the start of like, all right, we have no way of knowing how to interact with the team and get the info that we want. Um, now we're in such a good rhythm. It's it's just super easy to slack someone. They respond to you. You know what you need to do. Uh, you know you can kind of just get what you need. So I think moving forward, hybrid, definitely, definitely the way to go. Do you feel more focused now working in a remote setting? Uh, I definitely feel more focused. I think it just kind of removes some of the things. And I think... I'm one of those people that will always distract myself if I can uh, to chat with people. It's mm-hmm. like at home, it's just me and my dog. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there's only so much I can talk to my dog about. Uh, and then I'm like, all right, now back to like normal people and focusing. Um, so, I don't know. I know a lot of people say they get distracted at home, but for me, it's the opposite. I find it's a great time just to hone in and be like, right, I know I need to get this done. I'm going to do it. Um, so it works out really well. I think at work, I love it because there's just so many people around that you can chat to that you don't get to talk to uh, normally. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I want hybrid as well, because you can actually have those engagements and naturally it has some of those flow on effects like, oh, there's this thing happening, another team, it's really relevant to maybe what we're doing. Um, so I think that that on its own has some really good merit for the studio atmosphere that we have. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really how are we going to set up the space and the environment in the studio moving forward. So it's going to be an interesting transition, mm. I think. Has Does Wargaming Sydney employ people remotely as well at the moment? Or is it just, yeah. you know, is that something that's open to it now? Is that because of COVID or was that previously uh, already a thing? Um, so before COVID, it was a thing. Um, it wasn't as big of a thing because we would just relocate people to Sydney. Um, Mm -hmm. we ended up hiring, I think it's about 40 plus people during COVID, which was massive. So it's 40 faces I've never seen in the studio. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was great because it just shows the flexibility that I think the whole industry has, um, instead of needing people on site, being able to get the experience you want in different places. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's been really, really handy. And then it also helps because everyone's remote. Um, so they don't feel like they're missing out too much and we can still kind of build that strong relationships with the team members. Mm -hmm. Um, You've you've played around with virtual reality. Do you think that will play a part in uh, I was gonna think that, yeah. in in you know facilitating some of this social stuff in the future or or, or work? I mean, I I love it. I got an Oculus Quest too, and nice. there's some like even the, there's a venues uh, game or venue venues app where it's basically just online social events, you know, and you you get to speak to other people. Mind you, there's a lot of trolling and that sort of stuff, but there is you know the basis and the and the concept is there. Do you feel like that's something that would be interesting uh potentially like i'm it's one of those things like if someone builds it surely someone will use it Mm. uh i guess it'll be interesting to see that tech isn't quite where it needs to be yet to be able to support it and it's not super accessible Mm. Uh, so maybe like quite far down the track that might just be normal and people like oh my gosh you went and saw people in real life like who does that um (laughs) yeah but I think right now, or like, at least the near future, probably not. Uh, plus, like, I love VR, but I get super seasick. So, like, whenever mm. as you have to take heaps of breaks, and then you got, mm. like, the sweaty forehead thing going. Yeah. And, yeah, no. It's probably what happens when you play Resident Evil or Doom yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 The stress, yeah. you know, yeah. I think probably, I always thought, like, if I, if I had money in stocks or something like that, I was always going to go the route of AR and I reckon that would for something like this where you can still interact with the real world and um, you know how Facebook talk about virtual meetings of you can see Mm. the person there if you wear the headset and it's all based on how um, what's the word how like comfortable I guess the tech is like 3D movies and films 
it's like a good idea in theory and then just no one wants to wear the glasses so we just don't see that anymore yeah everyone's got expensive tvs that don't do anything and so i think if it was an ar hybrid that might be a bit more I was, thinking, I was thinking something along the lines of like Star Wars. We've got the like holographic image of someone yeah, popping yeah. up, and it's like yeah, kind of yeah. semi real, semi not. And you're like, you can see them talk, interact. That's all cool. Yeah, uh, I think that everyone, that'll that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's, everyone sits in a circle like the Jedi yeah, Council. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a company out here in Adelaide who are. Been developing that. Costa and I know them. Um, Voxon. Oh, Voxon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've been at it for ages. Awesome. But um, yeah, they've got that holographic. I think they. I think it's in a set up at an arcade in Japan. But they're big Star Wars fans. All their promo mm. material has those kinds of things. So <laughs> Voxon, get on yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess one thing we always ask is for the person we're talking to, the role relevant to them. Um, you know, what what would you say to the the next one coming up? Like, what have what have you learned? What is what's your advice to like someone who wants to become uh, a producer in a studio that you know might be an indie team, might be working towards a triple A title like yourself? What what kind of advice would you like to give? Um, so I think the main one that I've always come back to is uh, no matter kind of like what area you're in or what you're trying to do. Uh, create an environment that's supporting for your team because that's always going to help you succeed. And uh, I think big no-no if you go into a meeting slamming your team that you worked with. It's a big, it's a big problem. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, really knowing how you can support them, give them what they need because ultimately they're building what you're after and uh, trying to get that experience. And then also having that culture of, um, you know, not being risk averse, like supporting, taking risks, failing and uh, not kind of creating a culture of blame. I think in the past I've seen a lot of that and it's it's hindering, right? Because that is going to stop you from being innovative. It's going to stop people from feeling creative because they're always going to worry if I fail, there's this repercussion or I'm not going to be able to do it ever again or I'm going to get slapped on the wrist. Um, And so for me, it's, you know, don't be afraid of taking risks. Don't be afraid of uh, stepping outside your comfort zone and trying to be vulnerable in order to uh, try and make something succeed or try and do it differently uh, for a good reason. Mm. And uh, I guess a lot of that, a lot of taking risks, it would help to having the like outside voices, like if things become an echo chamber, you're, I guess, maybe less likely to take those risks. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's it's always hard feeling confident to take risk because there's always that chance you're going to fail. But um, I think if you can cultivate that culture within your team, at least, and making them feel reassured. So something that I love that we started doing in our teams was celebrating our failures. So we had failure of the week or like if someone <laughs> made a made a made a fault or they made a bug or they caused some silly mistake or even a big mistake they would post it and they'll be like fail of the week put it down and then they'd say this is what i've learned from it and i think it's it's great Mm. because you see that you know they're they're proud that they failed they know what caused it and they know kind of not to do in the future but kind of uh there's a lot of key learnings that you can take from it and not even from like a oh i know 
if I do this, this is what's going to happen. But I think from a, a personality point of view and uh, having the team and people around you know that you can be vulnerable enough and trusting enough to fail, uh, I think is a really big thing. Yeah. That's good. That, and it's that's an that's awesome. unique. That's like a, um, uh, what do I call it? A postmortem? Like when a project is done, but you're doing it live. Yeah, exactly. And, and especially in a in a workforce like culture, I guess, where people are so used to, I found, used to doing things on their own, like these kind of projects. They don't want to admit their faults so readily. Yeah. So being accepting of that, that's that's great. Well, I think that's well, pe- we can all take. People are always super scared to admit that they've done something wrong. And I think, yeah, it's great that you, that Wargaming has that sort of culture of um, making failure something that you're comfortable with and well, embracing it and sharing it and, and, and making it not so scary so that's yeah. awesome awesome how can people reach out to you or find you on social media or the internet <laughs> <laughs> the internet um yeah and no, i think so the easiest way is probably uh linkedin um so you can just search my really long name and you will find me <laughs> um i have i have instagram but i don't really use it um and i have twitter which I only joined a few months ago because I don't. I follow a lot of um, competitive gaming for COD, but I don't tweet mm-hmm. a lot. So you can find me that way, but LinkedIn's probably the best. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah thank, thank it's you. Been, it's been awesome talking it's to been you. Awesome. Yeah, it was a great, great afternoon. Thank you so much.